Hi, everybody. My name is Ed, and this is TK. There you go. All right. We are so privileged to be able to share with you today. Uh, I actually live in Philadelphia. Yes, the home of the Philadelphia Woo! Eagles. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and he's not a Patriots fan, I don't think. But at any rate, we're glad to be able to be here on a super Sunday. And uh, we're glad that you are here and trusting that the Lord's going to use uh, our sharing together. I'm actually out here from Philadelphia, uh, but our office is not only in Philadelphia, it's a church effectiveness ministry, CE National. We're a church effectiveness ministry that is uh, located not only in Philadelphia, but in Winona Lake, Indiana. Why don't you tell uh, your little bit of your background, TK? <laughs> yeah, I uh, came here when I was 10 years of age. My parents brought me. Yeah, I didn't, wow. my own. I didn't drive them. Uh, but I uh, was here for 19 years. And uh, interesting fact, maybe, is that I asked Dana to marry me on that sign right out there. Really? Uh, yeah, Jeff Clements was a part of climbing up on a ladder during choir practice. And then we came out and then everybody joined us. And that was great. Uh, and then this summer, I am bringing back 60 of my closest high school friends <laughs> for Operation Barnabas and 12 adult leaders of whom Max and Margaret are a part as well, and Rezone as well. So we'll be back this summer. So that's a little bit of the past and a little bit coming into the future. And one of the things that I do, I spend most of my year in inner city Philadelphia. That is where uh, we have a, a, actually a training center over there. It's called the Urban Hope Training Center. And it is in the Kensington area of Philadelphia, the highest concentration of illegal drugs anywhere in the East Coast. And and as we're right where we're right, smack in the middle of that, that's where we're living. And God is making a difference in people's lives. And we are excited because of the fact that if you didn't know that, we are looking forward to out here. We're working together with your church as well as some others. But we're working together with your church to actually have an urban hope that is out here in the Los Angeles area. And uh, this will be a phenomenal opportunity for us to be able to see that churches themselves, a lot of people want to learn how to evangelize, but they don't ever know how to do that. And that's because they never get their hands dirty. They never go out and really share. And so we're excited about all this. But today, what we're doing, we're dealing with a topic. If I can uh, put this in, if you uh, want to be fishing... Pull this around. If you are going fishing uh, for men, you must leave your nets. One of the things that's what we're dealing with for today, and let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll go through the areas that we would like you to be able to focus in today. Father in heaven, I want to say thank you that the both of us have an opportunity to be able to share your word today. God, we really want that to happen. We want every person here in this congregation to be able to feel like they're understanding what it is to make a difference in the lives of people, to be able to actually see people coming to faith in Christ and for us to make an impact in others. Father, we pray that you use TK and myself as we would share your word today. We pray that people will be open and responsive and receptive. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have something on uh, my desk uh, back in uh, Indiana, and it says, God, help me never to be a common Christian. 
you know what? I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the Bible's real. I believe that church is for today. I believe it's all kinds of great things that are going on that we need for ourselves, for our lives and spiritual growth. But I also believe that it's possible for us to live a routine life. There is a passage of Scripture, and this is going to talk about Jesus himself when we're dealing with this. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. You'll see it listed. This is actually took place. Jesus himself walking through the land is saying, do you want to have meaning in life, not just going through the motions? This is what it says. Let me read it for you. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And their lives changed. They were no longer, they were no longer the same. Not that there was anything wrong with their occupation. There was nothing wrong with being a fisherman. But they had a new meaning in life. And I believe it's possible for us to have new meanings in life. We talk about this idea of new meanings or purpose. It reminds me of another passage, not just in the Gospels, but uh, written in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 26 through 31, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God has determined perfect time, the perfect place. He has determined a way for mankind to have a relationship with the holy living God through his son, Jesus. Jesus came to earth, lived that perfect life, died on the cross for all of mankind's sins and then was buried in the grave and then rose three days later with a purpose that men may know him. God made mankind for a purpose. He made you for a purpose. He made me for a purpose. And I look at that and I think, I have the privilege, Ed, of working with the next generation through CE National. Yeah. So thanks for hiring me. Uh, uh, no Appreciate problem. that. But I, one of my roles is I get to oversee the youth ministry major at Grace College. And we have about 70 students who are, they believe that God wants them to serve the next generation. But I get to work with them because they're figuring out how that looks. Am I going to do that in camp? Am I going to do that to be a youth pastor? They're figuring, they're figuring out how that exact purpose looks. 
But their calling is to work with that deck, too. And then what they want to do is they want to see that next generation understand their purpose, that they can know God, that they can follow God, that they can follow Jesus. I think that's significant. And as we do a lot of reading about Generation Z, ages 7 to 22 right now, great book if you're interested in that stuff, Growing Young. And the, the Generation Z, as they're called, they, they want to know their identity. The book identifies some research. They want to know where they belong. It's even spelled out in this research. They want to know a purpose in their life. As we have opportunity to have Momentum Youth Conference, which this church has been a part of with Momentum for decades and decades. This last year on that Friday night, so significant, we saw 227 young people come forward, sign a book to say, we believe that God has a calling on our life. That, that we think that he wants us to be involved in his work vocationally. I think that's significant because I think these young people are looking for purpose and meaning God's working. And I think that response, 227, that is a lot of young people. Yeah. And I think it's tied to they are looking for significance and purpose and meaning. And they're open and responsive to what God wants to do in their heart. But unfortunately, here's what happens. Um, we lose, our, we become routine. What it is, is we lose, we lose our purpose. I don't know where you're coming from. Do you ever feel like, what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? I had an opportunity, as I told, I was telling TK, here in Philadelphia, I remember going through the whole process, and we just went out and walked on the streets and just asked the people that were there, Why do you think you exist? Pardon me? Why do you think you live? Well, I have to ask my mom. I have to ask my dad. I just came. No, but why do you think, I guess, to have kids, get married, um, to be happy? I said, are you happy? Not necessarily. I'm just saying, isn't there more to life than all? Don't forget, there was a book written years ago. I think Rick Warren wrote it. It says, The Purpose Driven Life. And it became the most popular. Because what is your purpose in life? What is it that God has for you? Here's number one. Jesus offers a meaningful life. Jesus offers a meaningful life. I want to remind you of this. Jesus says this. And that's why the disciples would leave their nets and follow him. Here's what he's saying. I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly. God wants us to understand that our lives can change. I'll never forget. It's a book. uh, It's been written a number of years ago. John Piper wrote it. And he said, don't waste your life. And he tells about a true, true story about a, a couple who got an early retirement. They were 55 years of age, and uh, they moved down to Punta Gorda, Florida. And he said, we got an early retirement. He says, you know what they did? He said, they went down there and played golf every day, and they collected shells on the seashore. And he says, can you imagine this? Here's a believing couple. At the end of their life, when they say Jesus takes them home, they're followers of Jesus, and say, well, what have you done for me in the last 30 years? And they say, well, Jesus, see our seashells? See, you can have these. And his point is, what a waste. 
Isn't there more to life than just simply existing? Jesus offers us a meaningful life. And people are more important than stuff. I'm not sure that the world gets that in any way, shape, or form. It seems that the world tries to press us in their mold, that if you're going to be happy or you're going to find purpose or significant, it's that you're going to acquire stuff. Uh, about four years ago or so, uh, my mom left Southern California after 50 years being in the same house. I'm very grateful that my wife and Noemi and, uh, and our daughter helped clean that house out because she was reducing everything. And my parents never lived for stuff, but you acquire stuff. But at the end, when my mom moved into healthcare, everything she owned was within half of a room. If that was what life was about, how miserable. And yet the reality is that the stuff doesn't matter. Amen. People are much, much more important Amen. than stuff. There was a lady that uh, worked with us. She's retired just in the last couple of years. Uh, Peggy Owens. You remember Peggy? Yeah, um, for well, sure. you remember because you hired yeah, her. Well, too. yeah. <laughs> That's right. I was but right Peggy is a wonderful, godly lady. And I guess there's an old song. I don't know it. But it's, it's the phrase, using things and loving people. Well, Peggy had a sense of humor. And every time I was around her, she was a jokester. And she would sing, loving things and using people. That was just a joke that we had amongst us. Yet this woman lived completely differently. In fact, still lives differently. It's not the stuff that makes Peggy's life significant. No. What's she doing now? It's not. What it is, Peggy Owens worked for CE National for a number of years, and she retired. Do you know what she's doing right now? She volunteers. She uses her time. She goes into the jails, Mm -hmm. and she talks to people who are incarcerated, and she shares Jesus with them. I remember talking to her when she was leaving CE, and I said, Peggy, don't live your life in the past. Your best days may yet be That's ahead. Right. That's right. And you know what? She told me that not very long ago. She said, Ed, I am more fulfilled in my life now than I've ever been in my life. And I can tell you this, people. I live in, I'm 71 years of age. I live in inner city Philadelphia where there's trash, where there's I, the drug deals that go on right outside my door. And I'm in a tight little apartment where you're living into this whole thing. And you know what? I love it there. Why? I'm more fulfilled at this time in my life than I was. Because people matter more than stuff. You need to understand people matter. If you go through life, you need to understand who can I impact. It's not what I need. If I get more stuff, I'll be happy. It's like, no, people matter. And Jesus is offering this. And there is so much of it important. And the other thing that relates to this, serving Jesus is fulfilling. It is literally fulfilling in your life. Why could I say this? That I'm fulfilled at my point in my life. Do you ever notice this? You ever notice when you were in junior high? Oh, once I'm in senior high, I'm going to really feel cool. <laughs> then you're in senior high, and once I get to college, then I'm going to do. And you know what? Well, well, once I get once I get married, then everything is great. Once I finish all this, then once I'm retired. Oh, Here's something for a church. Once we have a pastor, then we're really going to grow. 
Once we get Urban Hope that will come over here and use some of our facilities, then we'll say, listen, what's happening now? What are we doing in our lives now to make a difference for God? It's, we ever notice this? We always look either backwards or forwards. Oh, when we go to Disneyland, we're going to be happy. Well, okay. Or when we had Christmas, then we were really happy. And you forget about the fights you had and the lines at Disneyland. And, you know, all the rest of it. You forget about it. But the question is, are you happy now? The question is, are you able to make a difference in people's lives now? Where are you standing on all this? But you look at all these things and then you're going to help us to be able to help us to think through the process because here, but sometimes believers, here's what the the point is. Sometimes believers need a nudge to think it through. Think, think with me about this. Jesus spent three years pouring into 12 men who were his disciples. They were doing, listen, they were the ones that helped when they fed 5,000 people. They were the ones who were learning to obey him. They did all kinds of things. That was great. But guess what? They needed a nudge beyond the normal. They needed a nudge. Remember, there was actually a time when Jesus said, I'm not just going to train you. I want you to do something beyond your norm. What is this? I need, you need to catch it. If you've lost that vision and that heart for people, I'm going to send you. Why don't you tell them about that? Yeah. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is working with those stuff. He's been teaching them, but then he gives them an assignment. He sends them out. Luke chapter 9, uh, the first six verses or so. Uh, that passage tells us he's called them. He uh, says he's going to give them power, authority to drive out all demons, cure diseases. Uh, he's, he's telling them you're going to preach the kingdom. Uh, he tells them all this stuff and he's going to send them. He gives them a homework assignment. But it's interesting. Jesus worked with all kinds of different groups. There are times that he ministered to the multitudes, all kinds of miracles he did there. There are times where 500 are mentioned. There are times where he obviously works with disciples, but he also worked with groups of 70 or 72. Let's take just a moment and look at that passage a little bit more. Can we open up our Bibles to it? Luke chapter 10. Let's read that together. Let's look at that. Luke chapter 10. Not only did he give this assignment to his 12 in Luke 9. But we can see very plainly in Luke chapter 10, these first seven verses, he also Matthew, is, Mark, Luke, if you don't know it. There, there it is. Go, yeah. And so the idea being that he is going to send them out with a homework assignment. And, and let's see what it actually says in Luke chapter 10. What are his words to these 70 or 72? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Interesting. There were principles in this. By the way, 
Here it is, Jesus is discipling the people, but there was a period of time where he just said, I need these disciples to get a nudge. I want you to leave. Here's what he did. Look at this passage. Here's what you can see in this passage. He tells them, I want you to be bold. Say the word bold. Bold. I want, listen, you can become a believer and not be bold. You don't ever share Christ with anybody. You never talk to any. Listen, maybe you need to learn that. You need to learn both. So look what he does. After this, the Lord appointed to him and he sent them two by two ahead of him. It's like, I don't want to go. He didn't say, would you like to go? He didn't say, you know, it might be a good idea. He said, if you're my disciple, I want you to learn boldness. So I'm going to send you out. And that's what he, he says. And I'm not going with you. I'm not going to. I'm going to send you two by two. Now, this is a method that Jesus used. That's the same method he used in Matthew uh, or Luke chapter nine, where he sent the twelve out two by two. I want you to go out and do this. Why? Because he wanted them to learn something. And this boldness, he wants us to have a connection with God in this. In verse 2, it also says not just be bold, but we are supposed to be prayerful. The disciples, the 72 are sent out and saying, you need to connect with God and have his power in doing this. The idea of, hey, pray for workers to continue this work. Praying for what we know that God wants to work and do. I think about that. That scripture that says we have not because we ask not and we have not because when we ask, we even ask amiss. Yeah. God wants to work in situations. Let's ask him to work. Let's be bold and ask him to do some incredible things. God, I really wanted to. I'm, I'm willing to be bold. I'm willing to be prayerful. And then look what Jesus says next. He says in verse three, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. He's saying this. Be careful. What? You mean, you mean we're going to Boyle Heights as a church? Now don't they have people underneath the bridge? Now that's Ron's ministry. You know, that's where, I mean, oh, Ron, by the way, he's an author. You should read his book. Uh, Adam, the last generation. I read it. Remember, it was really good stuff. But he's not just a man who goes, goes under the bridge. He's a writer of a big book. It's an incredible book. But at any rate, you need to ask him about that. He'll be embarrassed about it. But at any rate, let me tell you, here's what it is. He's saying this, be careful when you go out. Sure, there are people who will mock you out if you share your faith. There will be people who will put you down. And Jesus said, use use common sense. God never promises. Listen at this. God never promises that we will never have persecution. God never says that we will be automatically secure. He's just saying, be careful. He's saying, be careful. So that's an important principle. We deal with that quite a bit because we work with the next generation, training them, equipping them, asking them to share their faith, serve people. And obviously, we don't want to be careless with that. And we're not whenever we're working with students, we send them out in groups, whether in Philly or wherever we're at. We're careful and mindful. But there are a lot of parents that they think that, you know what, the way my kid is going to be safe. The most careful thing to do is always keep my child with me and never let them go anywhere. Whenever I think about that, I remember a Sunday many, many years ago, many years ago. Uh, Some of you would remember this. Uh, Some of you are too young. But I remember leaving here. We lived in Buena Park. and I remember going down the 91 freeway and it was packed. It was jammed. And I know all freeways are jammed now, but this is a couple of years ago. But that was the day that there was a small plane that ran into a Mexican jetliner. 
And that was when the Cerritos Air disaster came down and wiped out a neighborhood. And the story that I heard was that there was a woman and her husband and daughter that had gone to church that morning and then had sent, she had sent their daughter and husband to go to the store to get some things and she stayed home so that she could prepare lunch. And that day a jet fell out of the sky and wiped out the neighborhood, including her. We tend to think that if I'm just at home and I can protect and everything's great and fine, can I say it reminds me of this phrase, there is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. She was in her kitchen in her home. That wasn't safe. Safety is found in the center of God's will. Oh, yeah. Be careful. But God's the one who provides that safety for us. Not only that, but you need to be bold, prayerful, be careful. And then he says this, uh, be intentional. Tell us about that. Yeah, just the idea that we can we can get distracted so easily. And he's saying the priority is the idea of the focus. Don't be distracted. That's what he's talking about. This idea of don't take stuff with you. Don't get focused on that. Don't go ahead and have conversations with other people. I don't think the principle is no, he's not don't saying talk don't to anybody greet. else. Don't, don't, it's say don't hi. get taken yeah. off course. Remember the priority of this. A phrase that's been around for a long time is that we often have the tyranny of the urgent and it replaces the important. Yeah. Let's focus on what truly is important. So Jesus wanted the people to understand, even though you're growing, hopefully you're growing as a believer. I hope you are growing as believers. He's saying every once in a while you might need to evaluate are you being bold? Are you being intentional? Are you willing to move out of your comfort zones to share Christ? Here's what he did. He sent them out on them. He said he, when he was sending them out on this mission, here's what he gave them. He gave them authority over the evil one. We have that too. He told them to, uh, I mean, to seek receptive people. He said, don't just feel like, it says, yeah, look for people who will respond. That's what, by the way, there's a phenomenal book written out, Henry Blackaby. He says, where do you know how to start a new church? How do you know start a new ministry? He says, you don't just sit down and decide. He says, look and see where God's working and cooperate with him. Do the people respond? Are the people beginning to respond? Well, then go back. If the people are responding, keep talking. If you have somebody at work and you begin to talk about God, well, keep talking to them. If there's somebody that's showing interest in spiritual things, invite them to church. Do something. What is it? He's saying, he says he gave them authority over the evil one. He told them to seek receptive people and he challenged them not to get stuck if the people are not necessarily interested. If they say... No, I'm not interested. Don't be all upset. No, just move on. It's not the timing. This is how you're doing something that works on this. I'm trying to apply these principles. Sometimes I do better than others, if I'm honest. I think back to the last time I was over with you in Philly and I I had a group of students with me. And and I'm praying, God, make me bold. Give me opportunities. I want to see you work in people's lives. And I remember that night we uh, we took them on the bus underneath the L, the elevated train. And that's where a lot of the drug stuff goes on. It's a tough yeah. area. Police presence all over. It's nighttime. It's lit up. But I mean, it's kind of a scary place, dangerous kind of place. Yeah. And so Heroin. we pull the bus in. We bought pizzas as a way to engage with people. And people are hungry. And so we sent students out in groups and said, hey, you stay under this street right here. We can keep an eye on you. 
But I was praying, God, give me opportunities that I can share and show your love in tangible ways. I'm getting off the bus. Uh, there's a guy, Dan, six foot eight. People, oh. people thought we were twins. It was an embarrassing <laughs> But this guy's nicest guy in the world. And so we just start talking, and I, let's be honest, he was there because he saw I had a pizza box, all right? Guy's hungry. And so we talk, and I, hey, we don't like a slice. And smart guy, too, he goes, let, let me choose the biggest one. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And as I engaged with this guy, I said, man, you must have played basketball. And he goes, yeah, I did, and that kind of led to the problem. I said, what? Tell, tell me the story about that. Hmm. And he said, uh, yeah, I played ball, but I, I have this degenerative hip. And uh, he said, when I was in school and high school and playing, it would get worse and worse. And even now I need a hip replacement at age 29. And he goes, and my mom tried to be helpful. But what it did is it ended up getting me hooked on drugs. Hmm. It was a way to deal with the pain. And I know that wasn't her intent, but that's exactly it. It was so it was an unbelievable conversation and, and able to have prayer with him. He'd been to church, grown up in church, had heard about Jesus, but honestly, had never turned his life over to Christ. Man, that was just a blast. It was so much fun having that engagement with him. I was with him 30 minutes. And, and so all those things, trying to apply that. In my Have you known folks that have gone out on a ministry trip, on a missions trip, and they've tried to do something bold in the name of Jesus? When they come back, the response that there's joy in their yep. life, they're different. This summer, one of the gals on our Operation Barnabas team, yeah. her name's Raya. She's from Singer Hill Grace Brethren Church. Singer Hill is right next door to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I am not kidding. If you go down the hill and up the hill and you haven't seen it on the right, you, you miss the whole thing. It is that small a town. All summer long, though, she had been asking our team to pray for her mom, who was not a Christ follower. So all summer long we're doing it, and we're learning how to share our faith, how to engage with people, how to love them. When she goes home after tour, she ends up having a really long conversation with her mom. In fact, on a Sunday afternoon, they went for a four-hour walk. And during that time, she got to talk about the truth of Jesus and how much she loved her mom and how much she wanted to see her mom follow Christ. You know where the story is going. Raya had the privilege of leading her mom to Christ that afternoon wow. because she was practicing those principles. She came back to momentum because we had a week off in between. I can't tell you the joy that there was amongst our team as we've been praying all summer for this gal's mom to come to Christ. And because this gal was bold and was taking advantage of the opportunities, her mom... It, and then this young lady in front of the entire Momentum Youth Conference, 2,500 people, got to share that God used her to lead her mom to Christ. It was incredible what was going on in her heart, in her life. And when you look at all of this, here's what it is. You see somebody, they, you send them to youth conference. The kids come back there. Wow, it was just great. You come back on Operation Barnabas. Oh, it was really cool. It was really good. What happened? They caught it. They caught it. Why are we not living this way all the time? Why are we not living in joy? People, believers, you know what? Jesus sent the 70 out and he said, I'm going to want you to be bold. I want you to prayerful. You know, all this stuff that's going on. And you know how they returned? <laughs> Look down, if you would, at verse 17. The result of what happened with all of this. Why don't you lead us in this verse, TK? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They caught it. They caught it, people. They caught it because they understand that. It's significant, I think, that there are two things that they returned with. And it shouldn't surprise us because it's what happened to these folks right here. They returned with joy 
And joy is happiness independent of circumstances. Uh, guilty pleasure. I like watching that lottery dream home TV show. People win a gajillion dollars and then the guy helps them find a house. And I, I saw one episode. A gal bought a house in Pacific Palisades. Beautiful. She was investing in a company. I just read two weeks ago that gal went bankrupt. I wonder how happy she is now. I don't think there's joy in her life. It was tied to a circumstance. Joy is happiness independent of circumstances. That's what I want in my life. I think most people really want joy more than happiness. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say that they experienced power. They were able to accomplish what God wanted them to do because of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And they were able to accomplish great things because God worked in and through them. They experienced joy and they experienced power. So there was a period of time when normal, average followers of Jesus went on a missions trip. And they came back with power and joy. Look what how Jesus responded to this. If you want to see it from Jesus, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was what you were pleased to do. He calls his disciples, they're like, they're like little kids. They're excited. They're coming back and they're saying, I caught it. He had joy and he was pleased. I think what's important here, too, to note in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, it's the only time ever recorded that Jesus was filled with joy. Yeah. Interesting as you think I'm about I'm sure that. there were other times I'm that sure he was were, full of joy. Yeah. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, those four authors felt like that was the only time it was recorded. And what's it tied to? Think this through. There were people that heard the good news of Christ as these folks were sent out. They benefited and I think experienced joy from learning who Jesus is and wants to be in their life. The people, the 72, the, do, the dozen came back. They returned with joy. And when we are involved in ministry and we're involved in sharing the good news with other people, even Jesus, that's the trifecta, isn't it? Yeah. They experience joy. We experience joy. Jesus himself experiences joy. And not only that, look, if you would see what happened from the entire experience. Here's what they did. They saw, they started, and they shared. What is it? They saw the opportunities before them. You know what I do? I say I want to put on God glasses. Let's put on our glasses, TK. Let's, here's what it is. You know what? Sometimes what you need to do is put on God glasses. Those people that are you're working with that are non-believers, they're yours. Pardon me? They're yours. I talked yesterday to Terry and Patsy Lambert. She said, you know what? She says, I've become friends with the people at Starbucks. I get them gifts. She said, they're my friends. She said, they have to know Jesus. I said, you're right on. Do you see the people? You know, the relatives that are hard. They're yours. You have. That's what Jesus was saying. Lift up your eyes and start looking. You know what? If my eyes don't work, I have to get glasses so that I can see something broader. It's like some of us are farsighted. We can see the opportunities in Africa, but we can't see the opportunities that are right next door. 
We can see the opportunity somewhere. Listen, God wants us to see and he wants us to do this. He wants us to start the conversations. Start using God talk. When I talk about God talk, listen, get to the point that you would say, listen, as a believer in Christ, I'm speaking to believers today, for pity's sake, say, I went to church. I was on a missions trip to share Jesus. Don't be afraid of using God words. Listen, can I pray for you? This morning I was reading my Bible. What are they? Use God words. Don't ever be intimidated by the world. One of the reasons why we're never sharing our faith is we never use enough God talk. For pity's sake, talk to your neighbor. Talk to them. Lord bless you. Help you. Listen, do you go to a church? It's okay to ask them if they go to a church. It's a, I'm not offended at that. Oh, what a horrible thing. They asked if I went to a church. No, for pity's sakes. Believers, you need to see and you need to start and you are going to have to get to the point that you are sharing some sort of opportunity with them. That's what you're learning from this whole thing. So I guess we're done. We went through a passage, gave some illustration, told some stories. Mm-mm. Let's close in prayer. No, not ready. Not yet. This is not the way we do it at Urban Hope in okay. Philly. What do we do? Let me tell you, we always have this thing that we have everybody say. That they have to say out loud. You ready to do this? On the count of three. Everybody together? Ready? One, two, three. So, so what? So what? So what? What? So we heard. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, now I heard a message. Jesus comes by. He tells all the disciples they need to get out of their comfort zones. They need to do this. And they change. Isn't that wonderful? And Jesus is happy. And they learned all this stuff. What does that have to say to us? Why are we talking about all of this? I remember speaking in this church a while ago, and I remember we do this whole acrostic. What is the whole idea behind it? If you're going to leave your nets, you need to fish for people. People matter the most. What is F stand for? It says, I want you to be friendly. Say the word friendly. Friendly. Listen, you better be friendly to your neighbor. You better be friendly to the person in the grocery store. You know what? If they're in the grocery store, I call them by name. How do you do it? They have a name tag on. (laughs) Hey, Susie, how you doing today? How's your day going? Well, I don't do that. I'm not, I'm not you. Okay. You don't have to be Ed. You don't have to be TK. You need to be you, but you need to be friendly. Say the word again. F stands for friendly. I is the word initiate. You, you know what I discover? Most people, we always talk about this on Operation Barnabas. When I talk to the high school students, they are the nicest kids in the world. The problem is I have to initiate the conversation. Wrong. I want you to be the one that's initiating the conversation. I want you to say hi. What was it you said that Link Washington said when you walk down the street? I want you to be saying hi to the people. You need I stands for initiate. Say initiate. Initiate. You initiate the conversation. You be the one to say, hey, you look tired today. Did you get there? You whatever. Talk. Talk. 
You have to be talking. You don't do this. You don't have to be noisy. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be Puerto Rican like in my neighborhood and doing this. Stuff. Uh, it's, we're, we're all noisy people where we are. It's just, baby, baby. But you know what? You need to be you, but you need to initiate. F friendly. I initiate. Here's a key. Listen to their story. Say the word story. Story. Don't keep talking. Listen to them and listen to their story. You know what we could do? It would be incredible. Most churches don't do near enough of this. We ought to hear everybody's story. You know what Joel Hawthorne does when he's out leading teams of people? He gets groups of high school students and they're learning to share their Christian story. Where'd you grow up? What's your, what's your home life? What did you do? And you listen and you respond to that. Your next door neighbor has a story, people. They have a story and you need to listen to that and respond. And if they've gone through hurts, you respond and say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you you went through the divorces again. Oh, I bet that hurt. Man, how did you listen to their story? And then not uh, say the word story. Story. And then here's the last. Give them hope. Say the word hope. What is the greatest hope you can give? Pray for them. To pray with them. Talk with them. Letting them know there's an answer for life. It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus has changed our lives. Here's what it is. I keep talking to other people and I'm saying you need to understand. You know what God offers you? He will forgive your sins. Right. You know what he'll do? He'll offer you. You can go spend forever and ever in heaven. Yeah, that's right. You'll escape hell. Oh, yeah. You have a guidebook to follow. Yeah, you do. You have a, a it's called the Bible and it shows you authorities. Wow. You know what else? He gives you a whole new family. Not that your family is wrong. It's going to extend because he calls it a church. You know what else God's going to do? He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to live inside of you. And he'll show you the difference between right and wrong. Yeah, but you don't want to follow Jesus. And you need to understand, Jesus forgives. He changes. He gives hope. What in the world are you doing? Why are you not following Jesus? See, and your friends and your neighbors, they don't have that. And Jesus, sure, the disciples were with him. But he said, you know what? You need to go out. And you need to go out and you need to start fishing for people. F stands for? Friendly. I stands for? Initiate. S represents the word? Story. And H, give them? Hope. That's exactly I'm going to do this. We did this oftentimes in Philly. Is there somebody that comes to your mind that you are saying, you know what, I need to talk to them. I need to put on my God glasses and I need to try. Doesn't mean you're going to see the results, but I've been, I needed a nudge. I needed to get on my comfort zone, and I'm going to nudge. You know what we do at Urban Hope sometimes? We do this, and I would like to try it today. 
would like to say, if you can think of a person that comes to mind that you're going to really focus on this week, I'd like you to stand to your feet and we will applaud you. You're not coming forward, which is not a different things, but it puts a stake in the ground. Is there anybody like that? Stand to your feet. Look around. Look around you. Applaud. See, look at this. Look at the people that are saying, you can look, you can see the others that are saying, I want to reach out to others. I want to reach out to others. Look at what, thank you, you may be seated. Look at what could happen in your lives. You may be seated down there. This is what God could do. Now, why am I talking about all of this and why we connect? This does finish our sermon and we're doing this. But I want to share with you that one of the things we're excited about, we just feel like a lot of believers in Christ, um, we preach to people how to share your faith. We can give a sermon like this. And we can say, this is what you need to do. You need to leave your nets. But you know what? Let me use this illustration I gave to you on Sunday evening. You never learn to drive a car without getting behind the wheel of a car. You will never learn to swim by reading a book. You have to get in the water. You will never learn to play a sport by reading a book. You have to get out and play it. You will never learn to live on mission. You will never learn to share your faith without sharing your faith. Let me say this again. You will never learn it by our lecturing you. You know what we did? We just asked a number of you to stand to your feet. But you know what? That's, it's, it's a huge difference between my standing up here and saying that to you and you're going out and doing it. And what is the difference? Sometimes we just need a nudge and say we need to get out. You know where I would focus my attention? Where we're focusing? I would say if you're going to start, the easiest place to start is with people who are needy. Why are we sending people into inner city Philadelphia? Why are we sending people to Boyle Heights? Why are we sending people? It's not that they are more lost than anybody else. We're all lost without Jesus. But that you see their needs a little faster. You understand? They know they need help. And they know, well, why can't we start getting out of our comfort zone by reaching out to some of those people? And you know what? Maybe it'll eventually, through the next number of months, you'll start sharing Christ with the people at Starbucks. And you'll start sharing Christ with your neighbor or your friend. But it starts by getting out of your comfort zone. And so what we're doing, the CE National is helping to start here using some of the groups there would be groups of people potentially starting this fall, wouldn't be soon, would be the idea that would come here on a weekend and they'd say, we're scared, we don't know what we're doing, we don't know what we're doing. I tell you what, why don't we come together, have a training time, and we're going to talk to you about how you share your faith, and then we're going to go to 
Boy, Heights, or we will go to the park, or we will go to Skid Row, or we will go to down the street, or we will do a children's program, or we will do. And guess what they do? They're learning. And then we say, now it's not all about Boyle Heights. It's about how you need to live it in your life. And it's a training program. You understand? We're talking. It's training people how to reach out of their comfort zone. And you know what? Norwalk Grace Reverend Church then becomes a hub for people that want to learn how to share their faith. You know what? I was talking with Sean McDowell on Monday. He's a phenomenal guy. He teaches at Biola. He says, wow, you're doing that? Well, let me know. We've got some people at Biola we want to bring over. Let me know. I'm down here at San Juan Capistrano. Maybe some weekend we'll, we'll come up and bring our youth groups that are going on. I talked to a guy yesterday who's coming in and saying, "What?" It, I mean, here it was, Terry Lambert. He's covenant church. I mean, it was a church in uh, Cypress Church. He said, well, we need to know when they're available, when we're going. What is happening? This will happen here. And you know what? We're excited about it because we found oh, not only a location, Norwalk Grace Brethren Church that we can use that would do this, but you know what else? We found this really cool guy. His name is Tim Lansing that we don't have to take away from the church. We don't have to do anything. All you have to do is get Tim and Janine that are already involved, already doing stuff like that, and say, would you be willing to eventually leave your secular job? And would you be willing to let us pay you, and then you can help lead some of these groups that are out here? And guess what? He said yes. <laughs> and he's willing to start on that role. I don't know. If Tim's, you know, is he worth it? I'm just going to say. Well, I, yeah. so. <laughs> I remember uh, part of my 19 years. I remember the day Timothy was born. I remember his first Sunday. And uh, Don Tracy brought him to church. I was there that day. And then during the 23 years I've been at CE National, I've had the pr- pleasure and privilege of working with Tim. Uh, we led OB together and been at Momentum together and many other things here in Southern California. And um, I can tell you, too, from Dana and myself, we couldn't be more thrilled and more proud. You're not kidding. And, we uh, are thrilled to death with this, too. And you look at what it is. You know what? You're getting the best of all worlds. He's still working with your youth. He's still working with your church. He's still involved here. But guess what? Instead of spending all of time, no offense, with the banking industry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but with doing this kind of stuff, here's what's going on. He's now spending time pouring into people's lives, investing. Into you guys. Isn't this incredible to think this? So, uh, why don't we just say thank the Lord for that? So, uh, we're starting on the process. He's going to need to be raising financial support. Do you know we have the dollars? If you will just reach the wallet from the person in front of you (laughs) and give generously from their wallet, (laughs) I'm sure that all the expenses would be met. All right. Listen, thank you so much for being here. Live, be somebody who's living on mission this week, and let's Fish for people. Nothing wrong with having a job. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to fish for people, you're going to have to leave the net sometimes. And you just have to say people are most more important than my job even. And let's do that. Thanks. You are dismissed. Great.